You are listening to an episode of the Technology Consulting Series on Design Talk. I'm Gayatri. Uh, I'm Isha. So, welcome to our podcast. Uh, our guest for today is Padre Coffey, uh, and he is a CEO at Zartis. Uh, so, thank you for joining us. And can you start by telling us a little bit more about yourself? I certainly can. Uh, first of all, thank you all for welcoming me today. Um, my name is Podrick. I'm the CEO of Zartis, uh, which is a software consulting company based in Cork. We're quite geographically distributed and international, like the composition of this room here. We've got quite a number of people across uh, Europe, Latin America and North Africa as well. There's approximately 250 people working in the company. Uh, we partner with about 50 uh, clients, mainly uh, unicorns or high growth uh, technology companies who are on track to becoming unicorns. Um, I joined the business as an employee and uh, gradually worked my way up to become first chief operating officer and then CEO and then took over as company director uh, through a management buyout during the past couple of years. Um, I'm probably an example of entrepreneurship. So some people are suited to starting businesses from the ground up and other people have a skill set that's more appropriate to helping a business either change course or scale up or do something a little bit different. Uh, on the personal front, I like to listen to metal music. I like to cook. Uh, I like to watch rugby and hurling. I like to read a lot and uh, I like to enjoy my life. Um, so that's that's kind of me and that's the company i suppose thank you yeah so we're curious to know how do someone become a consultant and what do consultants do <laughs> well i suppose yeah i've heard it referred to as the c word um look consultants can be anything it can be like the best professional you'll ever encounter or someone that's just wasting your time and money and everything in between so it's a very it's a very broad term um all of my roles have been in the consulting world and at its best i think it's the transfer of knowledge and expertise to enhance an individual or an organization's capabilities uh i've heard it you know I've heard consultants described in very disparaging terms. Sometimes it's used like politically when Irish water was being set up. There was a lot of controversy on how much money was being spent on consulting fees. Uh, so sometimes it's almost a derogatory term. But I think at its best, it's about bringing value. It's about enhancing an organization's capabilities because organizations... I think they need external inputs in order to improve. They need to know what other organizations are doing. They need to know how they need to maybe change their approach or structure or methodology, the manner in which they develop software. Uh, organizations and companies can atrophy quite quickly. And if you don't, if you don't uh, solicit or make use of external inputs, it can be deleterious to the outcomes for the business. So... I think there's uh, there's a lot of important stuff in the consulting world. Um, in terms of like what we do as a consultancy, there's there's two key areas that we focus on. One is around technology strategy, so that's helping companies understand what exactly they're building and why, and and how they're going to go about doing it. And the other is more of a traditional time and materials staff augmentation approach. So in the first area, we're helping companies understand what they can do better, how they might build their software in a better way. And in the second, we're actually getting hands-on and we're working collaboratively with their team in order to be able to deliver software faster, better, and more productively. 
and um, do you think that consultancy necessarily is a time boxed project oriented activity uh no and i would say uh, increasingly less so as uh, agile eats the world of software so the the previous talk given by alan here was was focusing on on concepts around agile and the kind of time bound project where everyone knows at the start of the project what it's going to look like at the end doesn't exist so much in the world anymore um things are subject to change uh both from external macro conditions could be covid could be war etc could be supply chain issues so um no i would say less and less time bound and like how our assignments typically commence is we will get a time bound piece of work to deliver it might be a short statement of work a proof of concept type project and upon delivering that piece of work successfully normally what will happen is we'll expand our collaboration to something more all encompassing more broad there'll be other areas of the business where it's identified that we can bring some value so yeah, not really but sometimes at the start people don't want to make a kind of a huge commitment and they want to understand what it's going to be like to collaborate with your organization and whether you're going to be able to deliver any value once you demonstrate that there is value in partnering with you then sometimes that opens things up to something much broader and as long lasting shall we say and more all encompassing um do you ever um, admit to the limits of your knowledge or we can acquire only so much knowledge yes and i think i would encourage you all to admit the <laughs> limits of your knowledge regularly um people understand when uh i think we all have a innate capacity to detect insincerity and i think uh the people that you'll encounter in your careers they're all going to be smart like they're all going to be smart capable people and they'll understand when you're uh, i'm trying to dance around a four letter word here but uh they'll understand when you're when you're not capable to deliver what you say you can deliver or when you're not telling the truth so i think a really uh underestimated capability in life and in business in particular is telling the truth if you're really honest with people they will trust you they'll understand that you're telling them the truth and they'll want to work with you because when you are put in a bad position in the workplace through through the dishonesty of others you'll never trust those individuals again you won't want to work with them in the future so if you want to build a sustainable career or a sustainable business just tell people the truth it's it's quite liberating as well uh most of us while we do have an innate capacity to detect insincerity most of us have really bad memories and actually they seem to be getting worse so the problem with telling lies is you have to remember your lie it's immensely liberating to have a clear conscience and just to be able to tell people the truth and you don't have to store away oh i told them this when when such and such is the case so i would say be um be really diligent about cultivating a strong sense of honesty and developing a reputation for being known as someone to be depended on and someone who will tell the truth and how do you handle the politics of being a consultant that's a great question uh because it is very political very often you're brought into an organization and it may be because parts of that organization are underperforming or it may be because parts of that organization are overperforming which is putting the rest of the organization under pressure so for example if in your technology company the sales team is knocking it out of the park and there's huge demand on services and then technology is struggling to keep pace because hiring isn't 
happening fast enough, that puts pressure in all the different areas of an organization. So you have to be uh, very mindful in those situations. Um, so, yeah. Could you actually repeat the question? Because I got completely sidetracked there, if you don't mind. I wanted to ask how you handle politics. Oh, okay, yeah. so the politics, right. So uh, you'll find yourself in situations where people don't want you to be there and you'll have to deal with that. So you'll deal with everything from passive aggressive stuff to outright hostility to people telling you to your face, I don't want you in the room. <laughs> and that's just part of uh, the nature of consulting work. But you're there to solve a problem. And I think if you can in good faith point to what you want to do to solve the problem as best you understand it, very often you'll find that people like people want that problem to go away. And if they think that you're a, a means by which that problem can be ameliorated or the situation can be improved, you can actually find that people that are initially very opposed to you being there can become your greatest advocates. Also bear in mind that sometimes people will be opposed to your presence because they may have had poor experiences with other consultants. It's not your fault, but it may well be something that they've had to endure and deal with. So I think the best strategy you can have is going back to a previous point is just be honest, be very straight up. People will detect that you're telling the truth. Be clear about what your goals and what your objectives are and give people the chance to play themselves back on site. So some people may have been hostile with you early in an engagement. They may not have been particularly polite um, or helpful, but over time, sometimes people's position will soften and particularly if they see that you're useful. And I think that's the most important thing. If you are of use to solving the problem, people will get out of your way pretty fast. And I would say it's a, a good practice for all of us to have is to forgive people that have been, you know, not so nice to us and allow them back on site and, you know, give them the opportunity or give an opportunity for a fresh start or a fresh calibration in relationships. And I've seen that people that have been very opposed to our presence within clients early on in engagement over time have become very supportive and we've ended up getting referrals or more business um, through doing things in the right way. But you have to be very sensitive to the fact that it's intensely political when you're brought in as an outsider to help solve a problem. And sometimes people will feel that your presence is some sort of an indictment of them. And very often it's not. It's just, you know, the situation is what it is. And to make it clear you're there to help. You're not there to blame other people. I, I think that's the best you can do. And also, you know, be thick-skinned enough to deal with the fact that you will deal with some impoliteness and it's not personal. Uh, would you like to comment on how would a consultant act as a facilitator, uh, you know? That's a, another very good question. Um, I suppose your job as a consultant is to facilitate the success of others. It's to facilitate the success of the leaders in the organizations that you're working with. So that requires uh, transferring knowledge and expertise, sharing experience and insights, telling them stories of things you've observed in other companies without obviously breaking any confidence or, or doing anything that would be deleterious to another to another client. But sharing those kinds of insights, I think, is a, is a very important uh, aspect. I think you may also have a responsibility to try and foster greater collaboration within the organization. So you may need, in order to solve the problem that you're there to solve, try and actually improve the relationships among the leaders of the companies that you're working with and certainly avoid sowing discord if you can in, the, in that regard. And how do you cope with resistance on a project? How do you cope with resistance on a project? 
Um, I think you already asked that question in some shape or form. No, that right? was politics. Okay. Uh, yeah. Resistance. Resistance. Any disagreements that you might face? Mm, I would say, uh, yeah, fostering that collaborative environment. Being, um, I think, being sensitive to others. Um, learning the art of de-escalating conflict. Also, a few small tips I would give. Uh, if things are escalating in written form, so Slack conversations by email, try and take it from the written form into either a call or a conversation as soon as you can. Because they're not understanding your tone, you're not understanding their tone, and if things are escalating, there's just there's clearly a misunderstanding here. Someone's missing some context. The person you're dealing with isn't the devil, and you're not the devil, we hope. So in most of those instances, look to de-escalate, look to humanize as much as you can, look to empathize as much as you can, try and understand the position. Uh, you may be dealing with someone who's you know, under pressure, having a particularly bad day, things may not be going well for them. So try and take the tension out of uh, situations where you can, because in the end, conflict can be immensely distracting and it can derail everyone from achieving the outcome that they want. So uh, what for you is the essence of uh, design? What is the essence of design? Wow. That's a very, that's a very deep philosophical question that I wasn't expecting. Um, for me, the essence of design is, I think, the transfer of, I think it's, a, I think it's like on the route from human ingenuity in thought to the reality, and the design is the vehicle to get you from A to B. I think that's how I would think of of design in particular. That's a really good thought. How would you how would you consider design? Uh, <laughs> so, this question was not from me, but uh, <laughs> yeah, uh, I would think uh, design is something which gives a structure to your thought process. Yeah. 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 I think that's good. And um, where do you see design happening in consulting? I see design happening in lots of different ways. Um, there, you have the design of the software itself, which is very often what we're talking about, the you know application architecture design. Uh, it can be the design of a business model as well, like how you're going to go about commercializing uh, what might be a, a good technological idea. How do, you, how do you bring that to life in a, in a business sense? Um, organization design. So you're very often helping structuring teams, stru helping maybe to restructure an organization, depending on what end of consulting you're working in. And you also need to think about the organization design of your own business and, and how, uh, how you're going to get the best out of the people that you have and, I suppose, allow them to fulfill their potential. So I think you see design thinking cropping up uh, in unexpected places in business. And that's one of the most gratifying things about businesses, its capacity to surprise and excite and, uh, I suppose, stimulate us. Thank you. Well, I mean, I for... had one question. Yeah? <laughs> yeah sorry. So, uh, we, uh, I, would you like to comment on uh, 
life work balance of a consultant like we have read about it that client client can demand you know service or help any time of the day okay <laughs> so would you like to comment on that sure um so we work an eight hour day <laughs> in our company and that's it i mean look if there's something if there's an emergency uh, you know it can be related to site reliability or devops you know we have people who are on call to deal with issues and if there's something of real critical importance that can't wait i, I don't mind to take a phone call in the evening if someone is freaking out or <laughs> whatever but in general like i think if you can't get your work done in an eight hour day you're doing something wrong in general you're probably being inefficient or you're taking on too many tasks and neither neither is a good thing i think when i first started my career i was in london um it was around the time of financial crisis and the culture in business at the time was to overwork to do too many hours presenteeism to be seen to be there before your boss to let your boss leave before you went home and you know i think it sucks to be honest with you <laughs> like i think i think people need uh, balance in their lives otherwise i think you become a useless consultant if you're just burnt out if you're tired um there's like a sports coach in nfl um in the us and he said um fatigue makes cowards of us all and i think that that's actually a really good thing to bear in mind that you're not going to be at your best if you're tired and if you work 78 hour weeks like how much quality work is within those 70 or 80 hours yeah a much better approach is to work a sensible day like something around the 7 8 hour mark even within that there's only going to be about four and a half hours of real work let's be honest about it because like you've got your whatsapp messages coming in you've got like you know i don't know the online equivalent of water cooler conversation and that's not actual work but kind of is at the same time it can be relationship building it can be networking it can be you can learn stuff from those kind of informal interactions so i would say that culture of like heroic overworking i think is unhealthy i think it needs to be moved to one side um we on occasions have had to disengage with clients because they've had a view that in engaging a consultancy that they had a uh, slaves essentially at their disposal and that's not how we work and that's not how any professional organization should work you need to be able to protect your people so that they can have a work life balance now what i would caveat is it's a bit different if you're running your own business and you're trying to get that up and running that's going to be a different uh, scenario and you're going to find yourself working evenings and weekends at least in that scale up startup scale up kind of phase it's going to be it's going to be i think um i think it's unrealistic to think you can either start a business or scale up a business and have a normal 40 hour a week and plenty of work life balance but if you're working as a as an employee of an organization i think you should expect to be treated respectfully and that your time should be respected and when you're at work you should deliver work to the best of your ability but thereafter i think your time should be your own Uh, speaking of working in organizations where do you see the work going in like the next two years how do you think that it will be done yeah that's a that's a question that has been running through my mind in the, in the past two years because everything has changed like there was a a point in time where everyone in my company had a desk uh, that they could go to in an office that was theirs to visit on a daily basis and now 
we've gotten rid of like 60% of our office state uh, because it wasn't being utilized. Um, we trained people that were working as office managers, etc., to do other tasks in a now much more virtual company. Um, so the changes that I'm seeing afoot are things like that heroic overworking, I think, are going away uh, and good riddance to that aspect of things. I think um, the bonds connecting us are undoubtedly a bit looser now because you used to share physical space with people, share meals with people, share experiences with them in the workplace. And now you have these weird scenarios where you onboard to a company from your bedroom or from your kitchen table. And like, you may never meet many of your key stakeholders. And, uh, you know, I've had surprises where I've met people that I've met dozens of times on a video call and suddenly realized that one of my colleagues is actually literally a giant, which was quite surprising when I met him in person. We got to shake hands and he was like, I'm taller than you expected, aren't I? And the answer was yes. Um, so, you know, things are, things are changing. I would say more for the good than for the bad in general. I think um, like one of the benefits is like I like to be at work at nine every morning, but I also don't like getting out of bed so for me i now get to, to rise at like 8 15 and have a breakfast and have a shower and stretch out and do a little bit of yoga and i'm at my desk at nine o'clock and it's like okay great and no commute no traffic so like when i talk to my colleagues who have kids and they talk about the fact that childcare has just gotten way easier because they don't have to be in a physical place so things are certainly changing in that regard um it's going to be interesting to see the manner in which um physically being in an office is favored by different groups so i was speaking to a director at deloitte and she was telling me that what they're seeing is that women are more likely to avail of homeworking than men by by a, by a discernible amount and her concern is is that lack of presenteeism in the office going to reduce their promotion capabilities or their, their opportunities to get promoted within an organization. So it'll be interesting to see whether there are trends in that regard discerned in the time ahead. But I certainly think there's some stuff that's obviously less positive, like looser bonds with our colleagues, but there's so much positivity there now as well in terms of uh, better work-life balance, more freedom for individuals. I think more people are thinking about starting their own companies as well, which I think is brilliant for the economy, I think it's brilliant for uh, for individuals because even if you try and you fail, that's such a rich learning for you. Um, so I think um, that sense of individuality in terms of people running their own businesses, there's more of that kind of bubbling up, and you know, I, I would see that as a positive. Yeah. So talking about the point uh, of new businesses, uh, is it more challenging to develop new businesses in an online only mode? Uh, we actually had the opposite. Um, so we, we had a very interesting COVID experience, which I'll happily share with you all if you like. So, <laughs> um, we lost 30% of our customers in two weeks in March 2020. So we had to make plans for like the death of the company, which was <laughs> quite a, uh, in the middle of uh, lockdowns. And I was stuck in Madrid, Spain at the time, which had a very severe lockdown. You couldn't leave your house apart from going to the supermarket or going to the pharmacy. So we, we were literally like locked inside trying to figure out what exactly to do. And the bizarre thing was no one had been through this before. So, so there was like normally in business, there's someone you can go to and be like, okay, how do I deal with the situation? It could be a mentor or someone more experienced than you. But everyone I spoke to was like, no idea. <laughs> I don't know. You know, people generally had a sense of like, 
this could go on for years in a really bad and deleterious way and we don't know how to handle this. So we, um, the decisions we took were we were going to protect everyone's job within the companies uh, to the best extent that we could and we were going to reduce all non-essential spending. So we got rid of some office space, we got rid of some subscriptions that we weren't using, we discontinued some services, etc. But everyone kept their job. And about two months after the initial wave of, you know, all our customers, well, not all, but 30% of our customers running for the hills, and we started to see green shoots and a little bit more activity happening, and suddenly it all came rushing back. And we found that in 2021, we then doubled our customer base. So we went from working with 25 clients to 50 by the end of the year, many of whom I've never met, and many of whom I would have struggled to get a meeting with in the pre-COVID world. So the kind of post-COVID world has kind of knocked down geographical barriers. And I don't need to have an office in Silicon Valley or New York to get a meeting with the CTO of a company in New York or Silicon Valley. So if you're agile and nimble and hardworking and you move quickly and you're smart about how you go about your business, there's a whole slew of new opportunities open that weren't there before. So um, it's actually surprisingly been the opposite. Um, I couldn't have seen a world in which someone would sign a million dollar a year contract with us pre-COVID without meeting, shaking hands, eyeballing each other and doing that a few times. And now in this post-COVID world, it's like two or three Zoom meetings, a little bit of due diligence on both sides, service agreement signed, you start delivering work, no one's ever met anyone vast amounts of economic value or exchanging, you know, hundreds of people employed. And it's it's bizarre, but in a beautiful way. And in uh, I think it shows the resilience of the human spirit that even when faced with everything's locked and you can't leave, that people will still continue to find ways to do business and to engage with each other and to build companies. Thank you. The story is really motivational, the success story. <laughs> um, and what would be your definition of agile, like? Well, now this is a, that's a hard question. Um, so I've, I've done a few podcast episodes myself on, on the topic of agile. And I suppose there's agile in the, in the definition, uh, in the software world. I see agility as something kind of all encompassing in the business world that, uh, I suppose is best expressed by kind of the fluid ability to move between difficult situations and find dynamic solutions. I think that that's what we see in, in the best businesses is that they're able to deal with significant complexity in a high-changing environment and find a path through that. That for me is like agile at its best. Thank you for sharing your thoughts and experiences. Uh, yeah, it's been a pleasure. Very nice to meet you all and I wish you all the best in your studies here. Thank you. Thank you for listening. The music is Impulse by Ben Prompty from his album Chromatic T-Rex and used with his permission. 